Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, we're going to ask going to ask that you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're continuing our series, Reasons to Believe, and we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus today. The 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians deals with the risen Christ, talks about all that the Lord did, but we're just going to take a few verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19. Actually, let's begin in verse 12 through 19. And we'll consider those verses. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. I'm going to stop right there. This is the most critical beliefs that Christians hold to. The resurrection of Christ, all of Christianity hinges. There are nine points that all Christians hold to. We all believe in God. We believe there is one God, that he has shown himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three personalities. We understand the Bible is the Word of God. In the weeks coming, then we'll talk about the Bible, we'll talk about some of the different things, because these are key issues that many in the world don't even hold to. They're saying, no, these are fallacies. These are not reliable. But if the resurrection is not true, and if the resurrection is not liable, and that's what I wanted to read in these verses, because that's the point that Paul is making to that church at Corinth, that if Christ is not raised, then we have no hope. We might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The resurrection of Christ is the foundation our worldview comes from as a child of God. Because we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we live in a certain way getting to talk with the young men in the class earlier, and everything that we hold to in the Bible has a practical application, some reason and something that we use. And we understand the resurrection because we know of the resurrection. It has a practical application for our life. 
This is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. If the resurrection did not happen, then we certainly have no hope, and we are believing a lie, and we are doomed. Atheists also hold to that. They say, if there is no resurrection, then you Christians, you're just wasting your time. Maybe you're doing nice things, you're doing helpful things, but other than that, it's of no use. It's of no value. So it is the fundamental truth of Christianity. We meet on the first day of the week to remember the resurrection. We meet on Sunday mornings to remember that Christ was raised from the dead. It's interesting because Christianity is wanting to do like the world and we want to move into a convenience mode. We have convenience stores all over now, huh? Uh, so that it's just so quick, you can just go in and get what you need and get out. I can just look online and get what I need and it's going to come to my house in the next day or two. And We're all about convenience. What's happening in Christianity is that we're trying to dumb down Christianity to some degree to make it convenient. And well, if Sunday morning isn't convenient for you, then, well, we'll meet Friday night, or we'll meet this time or that time. But wait a minute. This was something that our early church fathers felt that was so important that we meet on the first day of the week because we have Easter every week. Easter isn't once a year. Easter is the first day of the week. It's, we remember the resurrection. That's why we come. That was the pattern of the New Testament church. Remember, in the Old Testament, the Jews met on the Sabbath, that they had the temple and the tabernacle were open 24 hours. Whenever you sinned, you could go and you could give your sacrifice. And although there were times that the, the lampstand would receive oil and it would be cared for. There was times when incense was placed on the altar of incense or that the table of showbread, the bread was changed. But you could go 24 hours into the temple and into the tabernacle. God was always there. It's still true. God is always there. We can go before the Lord any time. But the New Testament church began to meet on the first day of the week and they began to meet and remember the things that God had done. Although they met other days, absolutely. They met all different times. But there was something special about the first day of the week. We recognize it. We understand that's when they held to the observances on the first day of the week. And the resurrection is that critical thing that separates us from all other religions. Christianity stands or falls on this one critical point. And if the critics can successfully raise questions that can disprove the truthfulness of the resurrection, it will destroy the faith. It will cripple so many individually in their faith. The main attack against the resurrection is an attack on Christ. Is the account of the resurrection an actual, accurate, historical account of what really happened? That's really what our question is. Is the biblical account of the resurrection true? Did that really happen? Is there intellectually feasible evidence to support a faith in Jesus of the Bible with his claims of deity, of eternal life, and of absolute truth? That's what we're faced with. You know, we understand that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Now, Jesus, in his personal ministry, he raised up different people, but that was not a resurrection. He restored them to life. He brought them back, and they were the same age. They were in the same place, just as they had been before. But the resurrection of Jesus, he was the first fruit, and he was different. They recognized him, but there was something different about Jesus after the resurrection. He was able to go, even in a human body, he was able to go from one dimension to another. He was able to eat, but he didn't have to eat. His body was one suited for eternal life. You know, when you are saved, when you become a child of God, we might say, I have eternal life. But eternal life is not the quantity of life. Sometimes we think of eternal life as, well, I'm going to have life forever. It's the length of my life. But that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life isn't the length of our life. It's the kind of life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He is the life. Eternal life is knowing God forever and ever. It is growing with the Lord forever and ever. It is to know God. It is to know the, the power of the resurrection forever and ever. So you see, eternal life isn't just that we're going to go on forever. Eternal life is that we know God and we grow in relationship to him. I have eternal life and I have close fellowship with the Lord. I have a walk with the Lord. So that's what we talk about when we're talking about the resurrection, that we have eternal life as the result of the resurrection of Christ. Hi, give me a moment to update you with a bit of information. You can reach us now at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837, Valley Springs, California, 95252. Please contact us with comments, questions, or to receive handouts and printed material. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the podcast. Well, there are many theories that try to disprove the resurrection. And the first was that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Remember the biblical account? That, oh, tell them that the disciples came and took the body. But realize that over that tomb, a huge stone was there. Historians say that the stones, because of the way that the ground was hewn, and that it was set so that the stone would roll into a divot placed right in front of the tomb, that it would have taken about 25 men to move it. Well, the Roman guard was there. That tomb was sealed. Everyone knew where the tomb of Jesus was, by the way. And some of the different theories and ideas that come along to try to destroy the idea of the resurrection of Christ the first, that the disciples stole the body. It just could not have happened. Then in 1828, by the name of Paulus, who came up with something called the swoon theory. The swoon theory was that because Christ was on the cross for that time, that he passed out, that he had the appearance of death. You couldn't find a pulse. Once he was placed into the cool grave, that revived him. 
And then he went and he met with the disciples in the upper room and they saw him and that was just because he had been revived. That's the swoon theory. There's also something Hugh Schoenfeld wrote something called the Passover plot. And it suggests that there was a very sinister plot that Jesus had studied the Old Testament, realized that Messiah must suffer and die for the sins of Israel, and he provoked the Jews, and then he prodded Judas to betray him, and he knew that his body could not be left overnight because of the Passover, and so that they would put him into the tomb. He allowed himself to be crucified and he used certain code words, I thirst, and they would give him a knockout drug. As someone administered the knockout drug, it made him appear to be dead. And Joseph of Arimathea was part of this plot, and he rushed to Pilate to get the body. But unknown to all of them, a soldier had taken a sword and pierced up into the pericardial sac, the sac around the heart, and pierced. Jesus sighed and he died by mistake. That's the Passover plot theory. And there have been multitudes of others. There have been all kinds of theories. I've read of all different ones. But they all have to do with, well, he was placed into a different tomb or somebody decided that they were going to fool everyone else. But one of our Baptist forefathers, a man by the name of Origen, he answered these charges over a thousand years ago, and he said that men do not risk their lives for a lie or willingly suffer persecution beatings and give their lives. Think about that in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen gave proof of the resurrection. Think about Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. And there's so many different places where we can see that they gave their lives. They suffered beatings, and they never changed from the fact that they had seen the resurrected Christ. You know, that's a powerful truth. One of the evidences that I've always used to show the virgin birth, do you remember Mary was there and saw Christ going up, being crucified, being taken away? And you know that Mary could have stopped the crucifixion? All she would have had to do is say, He's not in his right mind. His father was Joseph. His father, you all know, and she could have stopped the crucifixion of Jesus. Out of a mother's heart, don't you think a mother would want to save her firstborn child? And she could have done that, but she didn't because she, remember, Scripture says that she kept all of those things in mind. She remembered all of the things that had happened how the angel had told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, how the angel sang, and how all of the wonderful things at the birth of Christ, she knew she could not stop that crucifixion because she knew who her son was. He was God in the flesh. Likewise, the proof of the resurrection is much the same. None of the early disciples could have changed or would have stopped it because they gave their lives willingly. Well, let's just look at verse 13 through 19 very quickly here in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were some of those in Corinth, 
And by the way, let me just say that they did believe in the resurrection, otherwise they weren't saved. They believed that, but it could be that some of these people had been Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees were Jews that did not believe in the resurrection. And so maybe they were questioning, how is it that Christ was raised? But there were some of those that, in that church that were questioning, what about this resurrection? And so therefore, Paul brings much evidence and truth to show that. Notice he's preaching, the preaching of Christ would be senseless. Look at verse 14. But, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. You have no reason to hold to the things which you do. Faith in Christ would be useless. Isn't that what he's saying? Your faith is useless if Christ is not raised. He tells us then that all the witnesses and all the preachers of the resurrection would be liars. Look at verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. As a matter of fact, if you go back just a little bit right here in chapter 15, he says in verse 4, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So there were 500 at one point that saw the risen Christ. 500. Now, if you went to a court of law, and you had one person stand on this side and said, this is what I saw. And then you have 500 witnesses. And actually, it's more than that because it names Peter. And then the 12. And then it says, and then there were others. And then the 500. So if you've got 500 witnesses, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the one or the 500? You see, and that's why Paul is using that just as they would in a court of law, was of such great impact that these people gave their lives because they believed and they held to that. Well, not only that, but all of the former believers would have perished. He says in verse 18, if Christ is not raised, then also all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, they no longer exist. They're dead all over. They're just gone. There's nothing more. There is no hope for them. But he says that no one would be redeemed from sin in verse 17. He says, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Maybe your version says vain. You are still in your sins. You see, the resurrection of Christ is the critical point of Christianity. Everything hinges upon this. Other religions... It hinges upon what you do. Other religions, it hinges upon, do you bow and pray five times a day? Have you done this? I got to see an old friend of mine, Rabbi Zurkin Lubavitch, a very orthodox rabbi, and he holds that there are 633 things that he must do in order to reach heaven. And in all of his lifetime, he is striving to fill all 633 commandments so that he can go and be with Hashem, God the Father. We have 
someone who's fulfilled all that law for us. We have someone who has done it all for us. You see, and so we are not living our lives trying to pray and face a certain way and do all of these things because the resurrection, Jesus took our sins and we have eternal life. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.